Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Thank you, sir. And thank you all for being here tonight. Uh, it is a blessing to, to see you guys here. It really is. I, um, sometimes you can get so focused on the week and negative things from the week. And I'm not going to lie, I'm the type of person that can easily focus on that. I'm naturally a pessimist. We prefer to call ourselves realists, but you know, everyone else sees it as being pessimist. Um, but I see you guys and you make me smile every week. So thank you for your faithfulness and being here and, and getting together as the body of Christ. That in the middle of the week, in the middle of the craziness, we get to pause from that and, uh, and focus on what brings us all together. So thank you. We are continuing our uh, study in characters uh, from the Bible, and today we have uh, the Apostle John. And I was thinking about it, I remember, this is an older uh, book study that was done, oh, I don't know, probably about 15 years ago or so, maybe not even, 10 to 15 years ago. I remember when I was in youth group, I went through this book. Uh, in fact, somewhere packed away, I still have my original copy of the book with the, uh, the notes I took in that, and I remember... Uh, kind of ironically enough, John being one of my favorite studies from this book, and I happen to have uh, John uh, tonight. And it's got me thinking, because if I had the book here in front of you, uh, you would see there's a heading on each page that mentions uh, the person's name and then something about them. Uh, like with uh, Barnabas that we had last week, it was uh, consolation, the son of consolation or encouragement, I think was the word next to it. And, and of course today with John, it's the word love because we call him the apostle of love. I've just thought about that. Like, can you imagine trying to sum up someone's life in one word? Sometimes I think about all that happened last year. You know, we, we were out to dinner with friends on Monday, and I was trying, I hadn't seen them in a year. So I had to sum up my 2021 in about, well, it took about an hour or more. I was yapping for a while. But we're summing up people's lives in one word or in 30 minutes of talking here. And John, there is no doubt can be summed up with love. I think that is the word that comes to mind for all of us. So, uh, John, what do we know about him? Well, I was thinking about some background. We all have stories. We all have what gets us here. Like, you're sitting in the pew at Open Bible today. You have a life story that brought you here. Every little decision, every little choice, every little action through your life brought you to be the person that is sitting in the pew today. If you had changed your choices, you'd be a different you sitting in the pew today. And sometimes we don't think about that. We just, we know what happened to us, so we don't even think about what could have been different. You know, what could have been different if instead of growing up in New Jersey, I grew up in California or in a different country or a different continent? So I want you to think for a second like you are growing up as John. I want you to think like, not that you're in 21st century America, but that you are in BC, Israel. Because if you think, well, while John would have been one of the younger apostles, he probably would have been around Jesus' age. Most people think Jesus was born somewhere around 3 BC. I know that's ironic since we base our calendar on Jesus, but there is no year zero 
So he was born somewhere around there, John probably around that time too. If you have a physical Bible with you, cut right at the Testaments, where you've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. I've got the handy-dandy old Schofield reference Bible. And if you hold this section here, I know it's not quite half because the Old Testament's bigger, but if you hold this half here and have something fall out because you're a good Baptist that keeps stuff in the front of their Bible, this was John's Bible. He didn't have this. So many of your favorite verses, he didn't have John 3.16. He didn't have his story. He was living his story. So think about that. Cut out the epistles. Cut out Revelation. Cut out Romans and, and the Gospels and Acts. He didn't have that to go off of. He had this. That was his Bible. Now, of course, he didn't use the word Bible. He would use the word Tanakh, but uh, that was his scripture. He would have spoken Aramaic, uh, which is basically Hebrew, but with a few different words. They're essentially the same. And he would have been well-versed in his Hebrew Tanakh, in the Old Testament. And remember to them, that wasn't old because they didn't have the New Testament. It was, it was the word Testament is covenant. So it's, it's about the, the agreement between God and his people, the, the promise between God and his people. So he would have been well-versed in this. At the time of the exile, I have to mention Nehemiah in here somewhere, right? So around the time of Nehemiah, <laughs> the Old Testament, as we call it today, I prefer to call it the Tanakh because that's what they would have called it, so I think we call it what they call it. But the Tanakh was um, collected. The books were written earlier, but it was collected into basically what we know now. The Jewish order is a little bit different than ours, but it's all the same books. Um, and he would have been very familiar with that because he would have been raised in it. He would have been, I mean, that was his entertainment. You know, he didn't turn on Sunday night football or Monday night football. He didn't turn on the news. They didn't have TVs. They didn't have comic books. They didn't have newspapers or, or a, a phone to go off of. Entertainment was this. They immersed themselves in the scriptures. So he would have been so familiar with this concept of somebody that they were looking for to fix the mess that we got in back in the Garden of Eden. Really, if you look through the story of the Old Testament, that is the thread through the whole thing. From the first time that God takes man and woman, puts them in the garden, and says, all right, we get to do this together. This is going to be awesome. And, of course, they do it their own way. God, what's the first thing God says then? I'm going to send someone to fix the mess you made. And he's not just going to get you back to square one. He's actually going to make it everything it could have ever been. It's going to be perfect this time around. So the rest of the story of Scripture is fine who is this person? Let, let's look for him. Uh, I personally even think that Eve thought her firstborn son, Cain, was going to be that Messiah, that, that, uh, that one promised to come. Uh, if you read in the King James, it says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. You could also translate it, I have gotten a man, the Lord, is literally the way that she put it. You, she thought, oh, God promised a redeemer? This has never happened before. I guess this is it. How tragic then what happened with Cain, that he became the exact opposite. He actually followed the line of the serpent instead of the line of the woman. But, but Messiah, we know that to be Jesus, but it's just the word that means anointed one. Whenever there was a king, whenever there was a priest, they were anointed ones. They were anointed with oil to, to um, start their ministry. They were messiahs, or the Hebrew word was Mashiach. Can I say small m messiah? You know, we believe in the capital M messiah, the Christ. But these were messiahs that people, they would have seen a new king. They would have seen King Saul and said, oh, 
He's a Messiah. He was anointed with oil. Is he the Messiah? Well, if you know the story of Saul, no. David, oh yeah, this sounds great. Nope. Solomon, nope. Jeroboam, no. <laughs> All the way down the line. Uh, maybe even by the time they would have gone to someone like Daniel or Nehemiah or uh, Zerubbabel, because he came from the line of David. Is he the Messiah? No, they were all anointed ones, but they weren't the Messiah. And then you have that period of silent years, where in that time, uh, this was after Babylon had passed from the scene. In the book of Daniel, we read about that. Babylon passes off the scene. Persia takes control. Under Persia, they separate up the nations into provinces, counties. And over each one, they had rulers. Over the Jewish one, they had a ruler, and the Jews revolted. If you ever hear about Judas Maccabeus, that was when that happened. They revolted, and the Jewish line of the Hasmoneans took power. And they ruled their own little semi-independent nation until Rome comes along and says, don't like that, you're done. And then this guy named Herod the Great is who they put in to rule, to be their governor over that land. And so that's where John is. He spent this whole time thinking of, of these small M messiahs, people even like Judas Maccabeus, who maybe they're the one who's going to, to save us. They're going to bring back God's kingdom. But every time, they fail. Look with me in Mark 1, 14. It's so interesting. We really don't know that much about the disciples. I and mean, we know all their names. Um, there was a, a book, it was called... Um, I think it was 12 Extraordinary Men. I believe John MacArthur wrote it. I'm not certain on that, but I think he did. Not endorsing everything he has ever written or said. I find the older he gets, the more I disagree with him. But that was a very good book. Uh, he went through the lives of each of the disciples, everything we know about them, and then what tradition suggests too. Uh, so it was a really neat study in their lives. But I mean, seriously, we don't know what got James and John interested in Jesus? If you look in Mark 1.14, this is the introduction. This is the first mention we have of, of the Apostle John. Now after that, John, not the John we're talking about, this is John the Baptist. Now after that, John the Baptist was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, kingdom of God is at hand, repent you and believe the gospel. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Now if you go in... I believe it's John's gospel, you find out that Andrew was actually one of John the Baptist's disciples. John the Baptist had people who loved uh, hearing his preaching, so Andrew followed him. Andrew goes to his brother Simon Peter, and well, he wasn't named Peter yet, Simon, and says, hey, I think this guy's onto something, come follow. And then Jesus finds them both here. And Jesus says to them, come after me, I will make you fishers of men. Straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. So at least we know they had some background with John the Baptist. But then, when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. Straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Like, can we just stop and think about how strange that is? <laughs> Matt, any of, any of you guys who work in an office or, or ladies who, who work in any kind of a field, imagine some random dude walking by your cubicle and saying, follow me, leave your job and start working for me now. And you would all naturally go, yeah, sounds good to me, right? Let's go. Now, and we don't know why, at least with, with uh, Simon and Andrew, we knew they had some background with John the Baptist, so they, they knew what they were getting into, but James and John, 
We don't know. I mean, it sounds like they probably worked with Simon and, and uh, Andrew. They might have been together in the fishing business. For all we know, they might have had rival fishing businesses. You know, they might have both had stores up in town selling fish. But we don't know. But something about Jesus sparked their interest. And they went. And John never left. I mean, if anything, he actually got closer, right? We talk about the inner circle Jesus had of James, John, and Peter. And sometimes I wonder if that's, we never know who the inner circle, how can I say, we don't know how the inner circle came to be. We know that Jesus chose the 12 amongst all the disciples he had. But there's no verse that ever says Jesus picked James, John, and Peter especially. It never says he played favorites. In fact, it never even says he has an inner circle. That's just the term I used there. So I don't think it was ever, and I could be wrong. I'm speaking outside of the authority of the Bible here. I'm just conjecturing. I don't think Jesus said, I really like Peter's personality. Or John, you're a cool guy. Let's hang out. I think it was those were the people who wanted to be closest to Jesus. I think Jesus was as close to any of them as they wanted to be to him. Could be wrong, but... I think John was so close to Jesus because he wanted to be. And that's when we get to the story at the Last Supper, when they're all reclining. And, you know, today, today when we sit at a table, we've, we've got our chairs and we're sitting like this. Well, then they would have actually had pillows. I should have brought one of my pillows, make this really awkward for you guys. But basically, they would recline. This is how they would eat dinner. They would have a low table, maybe just a few inches off the ground, and they would kind of recline on each other. So if I'm where John is, Jesus would have been right here. So when we say the disciple that was on Jesus' breast, well, yeah, because Jesus is reclining right here. And so that, that's how close he was in proximity, not just metaphorically, but physically at that meal. And so through this whole ministry, through three years, John just gets closer and closer to Jesus until we find him even at the cross with Jesus. And then... Afterward, we know he, uh, he went fishing with Peter. Peter said, I want to go back to my old way of life. John said, all right, I'll go with you. And they did. But he didn't stay that way when Jesus came back. He went back with his master. And for all we know, John went on to be the only disciple not to be martyred. Now, again, we're speaking out of the tradition at that point. If you turn through Acts, you learn about the death of uh, James, Jesus' brother, not the brother of John. Uh, you learn about the death of some of the apostles, uh, Stephen, one of the saints. But tradition tells us about the disciples and what happened to them. And tradition tells us John lived to be quite an old man. Uh, we believe he wrote first, second, and third John, and even Revelation. Uh, Revelation doesn't specifically say John the Apostle or John the Disciple, but it fits. It fits with everything else, and we, we believe he got to live out his life that way. And if you ever read through John, you only get three chapters in before you find what is arguably the most famous verse in all of Scripture. More sermons have been preached on that than probably anything else. John 3.16, we could all quote it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Something changed in John that day that Jesus called him. And I think it was the love of Jesus for him. Fishermen were a tough lot. <laughs> they were kind of like our truckers today, or you know, our, our heavy outdoorsmen kind of people. They were a rough and tumble group. 
But something about Jesus struck John, and that never left him. So I just want to go through with you guys a few lessons that I have learned from John. A few things that as I look at the life of the Apostle John, they really stood out to me as, as impacting, and, and I think that they can impact you as well. First lesson from John, I know this isn't good grammar because it's more of a question than a point, but what word do you want to define your life? I talked about how the curriculum, there's a word defining each of these people. If you imagine that somebody was writing a curriculum about you 2,000 years from now, what word would you want to define your life? Well, here's the thing. You get to choose it. You get to choose it every day with the actions you take, with the words you say. Most, I'd say a number of you know that anyone under the age of 20 at this church does not call me Colin. They call me Seacon, and that goes back to when I was in youth group, um, and Blake Hunt was in the youth group back then, and he and I were playing ping pong together, uh, like we spent all of our time in youth group doing back then. There were a whole group of us gathered around playing, and, and just in the middle of the game, Blake says, come on, Seacon, you got this, Seacon, and we all stop. And one of the other guys, I think it might have been Brian Schuler or someone, said, what'd you just call him? He said, Seacon. Have you ever called him that before? No? Okay. Like, we just all collectively agreed on it, and it stuck from that point on. And, you know, it works. For all the people who can't remember, is his name Colin? Is it Connor? Seacon. It works, right? I didn't pick the name. Thankfully, I liked it, and it has stuck. But, you know, each of us has a name. I don't mean Mike or Colin or Rich. (laughs) Now, I mean, you have a name, something that defines you, something that, that you think of and that other people think of when they hear the name Josh Keys or Tony Coleman. Something comes to mind with that. We all have a name. And too many people think that their name defines them. But can I tell you, you're the one who defines your name. You might have whatever in your past. You might have whatever attached to your family name that you think, oh, well, such and such is is not a good last name to have. Okay, well, it can be. (laughs) You can turn it into one. What are you going to do with it? You get to choose how you will be remembered. Too many people think you can't outrun your reputation. But let me tell you something. If you think that's true, then that means that your mistakes are bigger than God's grace. If you think there is ever a point, ever something that you can do that becomes the defining moment of your life for bad, then that means that you think something you can do is bigger than the grace of my God. And that's not a position I think you want to take. John made some mistakes in his life. Do remember that this guy we call the apostle of love wasn't always like that. And that doesn't mean he was like some hippie. You know, we, we get so messed up with our idea of love in the English language. He wasn't a hippie. He wasn't some guy going around singing John Lennon songs, okay? He was a guy who understood what love was because he didn't always live it out. Remember, he's the guy that with his brother said, hey, um, Jesus, there were a couple guys who, their preaching style was a little different from yours. You want us to uh, ask lightning to come down from heaven so like they're out of the picture? It's 
it's okay. They, they go to church over there. You know, it's, it's a Bible church, not a Baptist church. So just strike them down. Remember that he went fishing afterward. Remember that, yeah, he might have been at the cross, but he did run in Gethsemane. Do remember that he started out as a son of thunder. Funny thing, too, is if you read, I, I think it's here in Mark. I forget which gospel it's in. Jesus is the one who gave them that nickname. He looked at them and said, you guys have fiery temperaments. You've got attitude. You're the sons of thunder. And yet John didn't sell for that. He became the apostle of love. The story goes, um, Nobel of the Nobel Peace Prize also helped to invent dynamite and some uh, explosives that were used in, in the time of the world wars. And uh, that was what he was known for. He didn't have the Peace Prize. In, in 1867, he had invented dynamite. It was used for construction. But like we humans always do, we started to use it for bad instead of for good. And in 1888, uh, Nobel's, uh, Alfred Nobel's brother, Ludwig, died of a heart attack in France. Uh, unfortunately, the news has not improved in its reporting abilities in the last 200 years, and they got the wrong Nobel in the obituary. They thought Alfred had died, not Ludwig. And so the headline read that the merchant of death who had grown rich by developing new ways to mutilate and kill was now dead himself. And Alfred got to read his own obituary with a legacy of death and destruction that he had never meant to create. And so he created the Nobel Peace Prize because he wanted something good to go with his name. I doubt any of us in here will ever get to read our own obituaries, but think for a second about what you want it to say. Now, what do you need to start doing today to get it to say that when it happens? What do you need to change to get that to happen? Not out of your own strength, but because you have the grace of God to overcome anything and to make that obituary say what you want it to. Too much in America, we have focused on the wrong things. Do you want to be remembered as a hard worker? Well, that's good, but are you choosing business over family? Do you want to be remembered as someone who, who fiery standing for the truth of God? Well, did you push people away with your attitude in the meantime? Too often we as Christians, we, especially in churches like Open Bible, we don't have the problem of standing for love without truth. We've got truth down. We have 50 plus years of an amazing foundation of truth. Our problem isn't love without truth. Our problem can be truth without love sometimes. Just being honest with you guys, as someone from the inside, this is what I see. We can sometimes have truth without love. And, and sure, you might have corrected all your coworkers about the foul language they use. Sure, you might have never gone out in public wearing a skirt that was above your knee. But while you judged the people who did, did you ever stop and invite them over to your house for lunch? 
while you got upset at their ACDC they were blaring, did you ever invite them to church? Or, or let's put that aside, did you ever just take cookies over to their house? Nothing wrong if you want to have your skirt down to your knee or your ankle. If you're a guy, or Scottish, I guess. <laughs> Nothing wrong if you don't want to listen to ACDC. But don't let that be your defining point. I find it interesting that Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love. Guys, whatever your standards are in life, be convinced of them and hold to them fast. But may they not be what defines you. If the kind of music you listen to or the way you dress or what version of the Bible you use or what color pew you like is what defines you, you've missed the mark. Now again, please hear me, hear me, hear me. Nothing wrong with standards. Standards are good. Standards are needed. If you are convinced of them, hold to them fast. But they are not your defining point. The love of Christ is. And with that, love has a cost. In John 19, you find the Apostle John at the foot of the cross. Verse 26, Jesus is hanging there, and he saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved. He saith to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And he saith to the disciple, Behold thy mother. From that hour, the disciple took him, her unto his own home. Love took John to the cross of Jesus, and that's where it has to take each of us. Love has a cost. Love hurts. Anyone who has ever been a parent has felt hurt at the kids that they love so much. <laughs> anyone who has ever loved anyone has hurt. And I know in the position we are in as Open Bible right now, there is a lot of hurt. Can I suggest that's because there's a lot of love? It's okay to hurt, guys. It's okay to admit that you're hurting because it means you love this place and you love everything that has happened, and you love what can happen. Don't be afraid of hurting, but where do you go from there? And with that, I want to add point three here. Don't settle for less than God has for you. John teaches me, don't settle for less than what God has for you. I mean, just imagine for a second, if, if the Almighty God in human flesh comes by you and says, you want to spend three years with me? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. That wasn't enough for John. He wanted to be closer. He wanted to be that one who was sitting right there next to Jesus. He didn't just want to be at the table. I mean, just imagine what you would give, any one of you would give to be at that table at the Last Supper. That wasn't enough for John. He wanted to be the one next to Jesus. Too often we as Christians, I hear us in this, you want to get me fired up, say this, Man, I wish I was half the person that Christian was. Man, I wish I could be half the, the, the pastor preacher once was. Man, I wish I could be half the, the speaker D.L. Moody was. Man, I wish I could be uh, half the Christian Paul was. Half? You want half? You remember when Elijah did an incredible number of miracles for Jehovah, and Elisha comes along, and he didn't say, man, I wish I could be half the man Elijah was. He said, give me double. Give me double. I don't mean be arrogant. 
God did some incredible, has done and is in continuing to and will continue to do amazing things through Preacher Riddell. God did incredible things through D.L. Moody. God did incredible things through Paul. You really think that's the best Christianity's ever going to get? You don't think we can do more because of the foundation they've laid for us? There would be no open Bible in the ministry that preacher has laid if it wasn't for the people who came before him. There wouldn't be everything pastor's done without everything preacher laid. We don't need to settle for half, guys. We don't need to settle for less. Whatever God has for you, don't ever settle for less than it. And may I also emphasize for you what he has for you? Don't compare yourself to somebody else. Don't say, oh, look at that church over there. They're, they've got a thousand people and we're running how many? Hmm. Remember at, right before Jesus rose again, um, he told Peter, you're going to do all this stuff for the church. And John says, uh, well, what, what a, or, or Peter said, well, what about that guy over there? Yeah. Or what about this? What about, no, 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 no. God's message to you is for you. <laughs> Your life path isn't mine. Mine isn't yours. Now, sometimes we converge, and that's awesome when it does, but that doesn't mean that what God is doing for me is the exact same thing he's going to do for you. That doesn't mean that you need to base your life off of mine or me off of yours. Don't sell for less than God has for you. And then the last point I learned from John is the truth of God is worth getting passionate about. Too often, we seem to think that you can either stand for love or you can stand for truth. And we think, if you want to stand for truth, you have to be a hard, crusty, old person who gets frustrated at everyone who does stuff differently. Or you can stand for love and you get to be you know, a, a hippie who wears you know, rainbow clothes and, and goes to a, a non-denominational church. No. Love and truth aren't, insep they, they aren't separable. They are inseparable. They spring out of each other. If you read the epistles of John later in his life, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he kicks butt in those epistles. <laughs> Just put it bluntly. He calls out people who were causing trouble in the church. He stands for truth. But we call him the apostle of love. Why? Because his, his firm stand on truth came out of the fact that he lived with Jesus for three years. And he hated to see when people misrepresented his savior. His friend, dare I say. The truth of God is worth getting passionate about. If your religion doesn't get you excited, you need to reevaluate. Now, I don't mean every day doing cartwheels. I realize we have ups and downs. We all do. Not every day is a smiling day. But the truth of God is worth getting passionate about. And if you can't look at this book and find something to get excited about, find someone who does get excited about it and learn everything you can from them. Because this is an exciting book. We have an exciting God. A guy by the name of Brenning Manning said, when we draw near enough to Jesus' heartbeat, we discover, as John did, that we are his beloved. We call John the apostle of love. Um, I realize apostle is what we call those 12 original disciples, but a disciple is a follower. So while we call John the apostle of love, could we not all be disciples of love? When the day comes that my obituary is said, can it be Colin, disciple of love? 
can be George, disciple of love. Can be John, disciple of love. John never got over the wonder that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. May that be said of us as well. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for how it affected John, your written word and your living word. And Father, I pray for each of my friends here tonight that they would be seized by that same overwhelming love that you have for them. Lord, if any one of them doubts your love or the power of it in their lives, I pray that that would be settled this week, that they would see the incredible love you have for them. Father, for each of us, I pray that we would, once, once your love gets a grasp of us and we get a grasp uh, as much as we can of what it means, that we would then live it out to those around us. So that what defines open Bible for the years to come is your love in our community and around the world. In your son's name, amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.